The Daily Tap is live for Monday. We will talk about why Juan Soto situation ruining the baseball deadline for the Brewers, as well as the rest of baseball. Talk about training camp because there's too much pressure on Alan Lazard. Uh, some other training camp thoughts as well. My recap of Boston, I am half alive, um, but we're doing it for the people. Um, that's that's what we give to you, how we bring it to you. Um, so we're all here today. Uh, follow us along on social media, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok. Sorry, I didn't have a lot of content uh, from Boston. My phone was a piece of shit this weekend, so got to figure that out, whether it's a portable charger or something else. Uh, it was not great. So apologize for that. Um, it, as you can imagine, it wasn't fun to have like low battery the entire weekend, have to tell your wife, like, hey, my phone's dying, whatever, and she called you irresponsible, but that's here nor there. All right, and then uh, we are all over the interwebs in terms of the podcast. You can listen on Spotify, you can listen on Apple, rate, review. Um, if you're already subscribed, make sure you're sharing along. Uh, if the fellows from this weekend are listening, uh, yes, the bo- there will be a Boston recap at the end. A um, few stories here and there, um, but nothing incriminating, of course. All right, let's talk about Juan Soto and the baseball deadline. Maybe a little bit of Brewers, too, in there as well. So Juan Soto, we do not know where he's going to go. Uh, the news this weekend was that Juan Soto would get one more offer from the Washington Nationals. That The Washington Nationals would come through with yet another offer for Juan Soto. And if Juan Soto accepted it, great. And that's over. And if Juan Soto declined, uh, he would then be on the move and they would trade him before the deadline. Everybody's waiting for that. And every domino that will fall after that will happen because of the Juan Soto decision. Um, it's probably one of the biggest decisions in baseball, maybe ever in baseball, but since kind of LeBron, honestly. Like, I know that that seems like high praise for Juan Soto, but he is a generational baseball player. He is 23 years old. I mean, how this could change the trajectory of so many franchises is absurd. And maybe that's being a little dramatic. Um, maybe that is, you know, overvaluing it. But I, I really do feel strongly about this. And can a team, you know, make the deal that makes sense for them and net them a World Series? For some teams, I feel like they have to win a World Series if they get Juan Soto. I feel like the Padres are one of those teams. I think the Cardinals, I wouldn't say they are because they have some talent, but they are pushing all their chips in. But again, I think the Cardinals need pitching and I think they will get pitching, but they are still hovering around that Soto deal, even though the rumors have been that they're out. Um, The New York Mets, I think, would really like Soto. I just cannot see the Washington Nationals trading a guy into the division, even though there will be less games played against the Mets and the Nationals for, I think, the next year coming forward with the competitive schedule. I don't know what what it gets reduced to, but still, I don't think they want that. I really don't. Um, So it leads us to this conundrum. Now, if I'm the Nationals, what I would do is I would have Soto basically at a five-year, $300 million deal or a seven-year, $300 million deal, I would basically give Soto a chance to get another contract after the fact and understand that, yes, we might not get Juan Soto back in when he turns 30 or when he turns 31 or when he turns 29. But that would mean that Juan Soto would stay as a national that we would build around him, that we would tell Juan, hey, we are invested in this. We are going to make this better and we are going to figure it all out. 
Washington has money to spend. They're a pretty rich owner group. They were just in the World Series three years ago. I have a lot of people who say I don't feel bad for the Nationals. I only do because the sports scene in the DMV is brutal um, in general. So it's like you have nothing. Like that, like the Nationals and the Capitals winning were, were the last things that happened. And then it, it all fell apart. But I don't know. It, the bridge could be burned. I mean, I, I think like it's always hard with this stuff because we saw it with Debo Samuel uh, yesterday where Debo Samuel, it seemed like he was not going to come back to the 49ers and lo and behold, Debo's back. DK Metcalf back with Seattle. So any Packer fan that was hoping for either of them, they're staying with their teams. And But the deadline now has been so lame because of Juan Soto and because that this is a deal that has to be made. So deal smaller deals for what the Brewers want, whether it's Ramon Lariano, whether it's bullpen help, which has been rumored, um, whether it's the you know Josh Hader trade market, which I don't think exists, honestly, I, I, in a weird way. I And I, this is a little tinfoil hat, but maybe not as much as Warren Sharp and his Deshaun Watson takes. But it, it's like, I think that there's a little bit of gamesmanship going on here in the National League because I think teams are seeing how bad Hader has been this month and it's been fucking with him a little bit. And I think that there is some of that going on where they're like, oh, yeah, we're still like we're thinking about it. We're doing this. And so he's reading everything. He's seeing his name in the headlines, even though I don't think the Brewers are going to trade him. I do think they are going to trade him this offseason. And I think Rosenthal kind of hinted at that. And I, I think it's the right thing to do. I mean, look, it's not about paying the guy $16 million. The sort of baseline Brewer fan will see that and be like, well, the Brewers don't want to give him $16 million. No. It's not that they don't they don't want to pay a fucking reliever twenty or twenty five million dollars a year. That's that's really what it comes down to. That's really where where it ends, right? They they don't want to pay a fucking reliever that much money, and nor should they. It's relievers are weird guys. Relievers can absolutely have it and then fall apart, and one thing just throws it off. Every every year we see this where a reliever gets good and then he's not. I don't think relievers are worth the money that they are getting. Now, if you could talk to Josh Hader into a three-year, $45 million deal, I might be okay with that. But again, you have Devin Williams. You've been you've known to develop late-in guys. Like, do you really need Josh Hader in a weird way? I mean, that's a, another story for another time. But I think that Hader being in the deadline stuff, again, goes back to Soto because they need other shit to talk about. So it's like, all right, let's mention Josh Hader. And also it's hilarious that Josh Hader is getting mentioned. And also in another article, they're like, the Brewers are looking for bullpen arms. Okay, right? Like, why would they be looking for bullpen arms if they are like not interested in trade Josh Hader? Or like, you get my point. I actually, you're probably like, no, Charlie, you're wrong. But no, it's, if they're looking for bullpen arms, right? Why would they want to trade Josh Hader? Because that immediately would take their bullpen from maybe I think I would call their bullpen right now a B B minus. It would take them down to at least a C plus, if not a, if not more. Now, if they were a, like, I guess the hypothetical would be if they were able to get like a, a David Robertson from the Cubs, and and then you have Devin Williams Robinson. And then you trade Hader away, maybe, yeah, that's there. But I don't know, man. Like, I, I still, I think that's kind of a weird, like, correlation to make. 
So if the Brewers feel like their bullpen is not where it needs to be, which I would agree with, I think their bullpen has been shaky in the middle uh, in the last few weeks. And part of the reason why, A, the Brewers can't hold the lead, and B, what's you know kind of troubling the Brewers to come back. So I'm not surprised they need bullpen help. I, I'm also maybe not surprised that they're not going to go after anything offensively. I think there's going to be a massive hand-wringing for the Brewers not going after offense. But they are doing different things. Um, I wasn't watching the game, obviously, on Bally, but my dad pointed out that they had an all-players meeting uh, a couple weeks ago, and the hitting coaches basically were like, you have to change your swing. You have to do different things on two strikes. People kind of took exception to it, but they realized that it was working. That, And I think really what it boils down to in the TLDR of it is, hey, stop trying to hit fucking home runs with two strikes. Just take the ball to where it's pitched, all right? It's an outside pitch. Take it to right field or left field, depending on where you are on the, on the side of the plate. If that thing, you know, don't try to hit home runs. Just try to make contact. Christian Yelich is hotter than a fucking pistol right now. Um, and I think that you're seeing more of that. Hunter Renfro, red hot still. Um, it, so the Brewers are offensively, I think they're in a solid spot. Now you can be like, well, Charlie, they've played nobody who's good at pitching. Fair, Totally fair point. I mean, the Pirates are halfway decent um, pitching-wise, but they're not great either who they play starting on Tuesday um, in Pittsburgh. Then this weekend, they have the Cincinnati Reds. So it's not like... So really they're facing the best of the best when it comes to the pitching staffs, all right? So I, I hear you. I hear you on that, but I, I do feel like you have to take it at least a little bit of like, all right, the Brewers are, you know, there's not a lot of good pitching staffs in the National League. If you bo- if you really, really boil it down, it's the Brewers, it's the Mets. It's, I would put the Braves in that conversation. Dodgers, obviously. It's like the three playoff teams, but like, it's not necessarily that the pitching staffs are not that great in the National League because you look at just who the Brewers are paying. Okay, so look at this, just as an example. This is just Team ERA across the board, not starters, not anything. Dodgers number one, okay, NL. Astros, Yankees, Rays, so three straight at AL teams. Mets, okay, three and two. Three and three now with the Braves. Uh, Mariners four and three just got Luis Castillo, so that'll help. Uh, four and four with the Phillies, the Padres then, and then the San Francisco Giants. And the Giants being at ten almost feels fugazi because Brewers are also there. But then you look at like the bottom, the bottom of it all. So you got the Nationals, you have the Reds, you have the Rockies. Those are the three worst. The Pirates also there. The Chicago Cubs. So the Arizona Diamondbacks. Like you look at the bottom, you look at the bottom tier teams, and it's mostly. National League. Now, if you wanted to be a complete fucking cynic about the offense, you would point out the fact that the Colorado Rockies, the Boston Red Sox, the Minnesota Twins, uh, now the Pittsburgh Pirates are all in the bottom the bottom third of of baseball. So the Brewers have not played a top top pitching team since the Giants, and they obviously struggled that weekend. So what's real and what's not? We'll see. Right? They have the St. Louis Cardinals coming up. They have the Dodgers coming up. Like I said, this is a big stretch coming up. Like we are like a week plus away from that series, those that stretch where it's Cardinals, Dodgers, Cubs, back out to LA. And then I they might have the Cardinals again. I can't remember. But it's a it's a intense stretch for the Brewers. And that will to me that'll say a lot about this season. And we'll talk more about that next week when we get into it. But 
to get back to the trade deadline, yeah, I think until we know what Soto does, we're not going to get answers. And if the Brewers do kind of change course and they end up getting like a Ramon Lariano uh, from the Oakland A's, who's probably my top guy. Um, I know a lot of people want Josh Bell, um, but I just, I don't see where Josh Bell fits. I think Lariano to me, A, gives the Brewers some decent offense. He has an unbelievable arm. And you look at that outfield and you have Lariano as well as, as well as Hunter Renfro in there. And that to me is run prevention at, at the highest degree. So I think that you're definitely going to see, to me, that's that's the move. And I would deal Hira for it. I wouldn't deal a top prospect, but Hira's a guy I would put on that table for it. Um, I might look at you know someone else who's maybe good, not great, and see if we could get that from the A's, who just have an, in, they have an interesting structure right now. Um, but no one's making moves. So hopefully we get some clarity on the Soto stuff. And once that happens, I think the floodgates will open and we'll see what the Brewers do. And I don't think Hater will be part of it. I'd be absolutely stunned. We'll be we'll we'll do everything, man. We'll we'll have the we'll have some live reaction on TikTok and Instagram to have the keg sports on both. Um, we'll have a, probably a live pod, which I don't do typically, but I think that's one of those things that calls for it. So yeah, we I think there's definitely a lot to go there from you know the potential of a move, but it all starts with soda. And until we have that answer, we're gonna all have to wait to see what happens this deadline. Moving on to the Green Bay Packers before, and before we do, um, just we'll talk Brewers around that Boston. Um, Cause we'll talk about my trip and talk about why I'm squeaking through half this podcast cause my voice is not where it needs to be. Um, I'm hurt. But anyways, uh, yeah, so just we'll talk a little more about the Brewers uh, at the tail end here. But let's talk about the Packers. Let's talk about Alan Lazard and what I think is unnecessary pressure on Alan Lazard. It's been pretty clear um, that the Alan Lazard, is he the guy story has made its rounds. Um, Whether it's local radio, whether it is the media around it and thinking if Lazard can be the number one wide receiver. I think to me, this is all sort of chasing clicks in a way. Um, I'm not trying to be a dick, not trying to call people out for this type of column because I understand Alan Lazard and the expectations are there. But I feel like we're just repeating ourselves over and over again. And I I think it adds unnecessary pressure, pressure to Lazard. Now, do I think Lazard's the type of guy that's ready for it? Absolutely. Like, I don't think it bothers Lazard in a way. But I do think that, that it just does not make a ton of sense to keep writing this column when I think we know that there's a, there are going to be opportunities. I think really where it comes down to is, will Alan Lazard have the opportunity to break out early? That to me is the story. Like if I'm looking right now at the Packers schedule, Alan Lazard has a really good chance to start hot and to start in a very, very good position. Because the Packers don't play a lot of teams that I would say have great secondaries. You have the Vikings, who I think have a sub-tier secondary. The Bears are are okay, but I wouldn't. I don't think Jalen Johnson is as good as Bears fans think he is. I think Bears fans don't have a ton to hold on to, so they're like, "Oh, Jalen Johnson, great player." Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers again, another one that I think is a little overvalued. Um, I'm not that excited about their their secondary. New England Patriots lost J.C. Jackson. Um, they're they're still going to be good, 
because of the Belichick and everything else. But again, I, I don't necessarily know, is that a good secondary or not? To me, that's that's the story, right? If I'm looking at the Alan Lazard angle, I think it should be more about like, does he have a chance to succeed early? Because that's where it really comes down to. If Alan Lazard comes out and he has 100 yard games in let's say two out of four, and he has a couple touchdowns, it's gonna be all systems go. Everybody's gonna be hyping up Alan Lazard. Everybody's going to be talking about how much they like Alan Lazard, how it the decision was was the right one to trade Devontae, all this other stuff. Or not get another receiver, yada yada. It's really hard for sports fans to wait, but we have to like chill out on this. Like we can't make declarations before the season. We can't make declarations, you know, even before like week eight or nine. We're not gonna know. All right. And we'll talk a little bit about other training camp stuff, but like, what if Romeo Dobbs becomes this unbelievable rookie receiver and wins rookie of the year? Now that's a gross overreaction after, was it, four practices so far in training camp? Like, for sure, right? But like, what if he has a Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase-like season, all right? I realize that this is a complete overreaction, but just work with me here. Like, that's on the table, right? I know Christian Watson's been hurt, but like, what if Christian Watson's awesome too? I think there is a a misnomer about a number one wide receiver. It's kind of similar to like having a ace pitcher on your staff. Like Corbin Burns is an ace, all right? Like Corbin Burns is the definition of an ace. A guy you see every five games, you know you can count on him, it works. There are teams in baseball who've won World Series without really having a true number one pitcher or only having one number one pitcher and then it's a trash the rest of the way. I think if you bring that to football, it's kind of like having a top receiver, but if everything else sucks, then doesn't really matter. I think the Packers feel confident with the sum of their parts and that's why they went this direction and that Devontae Adams wanted out, even though they gave him more money. Again, NFL fans, I think more than any of the other football, of any other fan bases, like baseball, basketball, miss out on some of the finite details. Like those mad about Calvin Ridley getting suspended for a year and Deshaun Watson only six games. It's like he gambled on his fucking sport, guys. Like you can't do that, all right? Like it's in the fucking CBA, all right? Like I, I understand what Deshaun Watson did was terrible, but come the fuck on. Anyways, I had to get that off my chest. It, it's just like, I don't I don't really think this Lazard pressure is warranted. And I think like, we're trying way too hard to like build this into a storyline. It is a storyline. It's always going to be a part of the conversation when Joe and Troy, oh, we don't have a Monday night game. I, I keep forgetting they're not on Fox anymore. When Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson are on the first broadcast, when the Packers have their first CBS game, I think they're on NBC week two. So you have Mike Tirico, Chris Collinsworth, you know, Chris will be like, Al Lazard, you know, that guy, that's a guy who Aaron Rodgers just trusts a lot. I, I don't know how my Collinsworth was there. You let me know. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's a little bit over the top. And that happens. Um, it's early August. We, you know, people are chasing storylines. They're trying, they're trying to really make sure that everybody's hyped up for the season. But yeah, um, let's just chill out a little bit on Al Lazard. Other trading camp storylines that have caught my eye. Uh, we have Sean Gary's fast start. I think, you know, Matt LaFleur said, I think it was after Saturday's practice or Friday's practice, I can't remember. But 
he was like, yeah, they, we would add, he would add four sacks if, uh, if it was a regular season game or they're playing at full speed. Uh, he was that damn good. Uh, Rashawn Gary has looked like a monster so far, and there's really no signs of him stopping. And I think the hype train on Rashawn is all-time right now. And I, I, there's no reason not to be, right? I think there's enough there that we should all be excited about Rashawn Gary. And I really like that. I really like that we are we are at that place. And I think that makes me feel really good. And I think that while we're while I think we should limit what our expectations maybe are with Lazard and the receivers, like I think the the sky's the limit for Rashawn Gary. Like I thought about maybe wagering him for Defensive Player of the Year because I'm like, if he's gonna be this good and he's gonna have this much of an impact, like. There's nothing to that thinks that he could be stopped. Like he could have like a you know years we've seen from like a T.J. Watt for example, right? I think that's on the table or like young Clay Matthews. Um, so I think Rashawn Gary's fast start is very exciting. I think the guy just wants to bust his ass. He's also trying to kind of be a mentor, which is amazing at age 24. I mean that's pretty young to be. I think putting that mentor role. I'm not even 25. Like that's crazy. But, you know, guys like Kingsley or J.J. Engabar, I don't... Murph told me he wants to be called J.J. I've not seen that anywhere else. Um, so until I see that from a, so, a good source, I will keep calling him Kingsley. But, yeah, I, I think that Engabar has a chance to be a guy. I, I think they really like what they have with Randy Ramsey. I think, you know, Jonathan Garvin, obviously Preston Smith. But they have a lot of edge rushers. They have a lot of guys you can throw at them that can, you know, make, make a play here and there. Um, and... Just hope Gary stays healthy, and that's that's for, that's for everybody. But for those big guys, like that's Gary is definitely in that top five. Of if you lose that guy, it's it's a pretty big dent to what Green Bay is going to do. Romeo Dobbs emergence. I'm calling him Dobbs. All right, I know I called him Dobbs before, but I think it's Dobbs. I'm just going to say fuck it. We're calling him Dobbs, and we'll go forward there. He's been amazing. Uh, it's been an amazing start for him. Uh, like I said, the gross overreactions earlier. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's who he is. But I do like what Dobbs brings to the table. As pointed out by a lot of people on Packer Twitter, Dobbs, you know, makes a lot of contested catches in the air. And that was something that MVS struggled with. MVS could not catch the ball when, you know, he had a guy on him. And that was part of the problem with MVS. And I think Aaron Rodgers is really going to like that because to me, that's like Rodgers being like, all right, I can back shoulder with this guy. Like, if we work on it, like we can back shoulder. Like, we can do, we I can just throw the ball up and Dobbs will come down and get it. Uh, the Packers really haven't had that in the last couple of years. Like, Devontae definitely is one, but like, they they haven't had a lot of guys who can make contested catches. And I think that's pretty exciting. Um, and that's something that I think will really help the Packers kind of going forward. And I'll be curious to see how Dobbs looks against com actual competition. So preseason games, like to me, he's probably the number one thing you watch in preseason. Um, family night to me is it's a special like, and that and I did this I think I did this last year, but I basically was explaining how like family night is still important. And as someone who gets closer to hopefully having kids, like I think that having your kids there who are maybe they can't watch a full game of football. Or, and the fact that it's inexpensive. So there's many families who may not be able to afford a game at Lambeau Field, but they can afford going to family night. Like that to me is special. That helps make football for the next generation. 
So I've definitely changed my tune on Family Night, but I'm not going to do a bunch of overreaction from Family Night. We're not going to have a live fucking podcast after Family Night, okay? So we'll just talk about it Monday. And But I want to see Dobbs against real competition. And I want to see him against, you know, the preseason, the couple preseason games and see what's there. And even if, and if that obviously goes well, I think the hype will go through the fucking roof. Um, I think it will go absolutely bananas um, at that point. We shall see if that's uh, if that happens. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited for Dobbs. Special teams has been another big thing. Um, I think that was a storyline heading into the train camp, but it seems like it's been amplified. Uh, there was a story Aaron Nagler told about Amari Rogers getting absolutely lit into about taking a fair catch when he wasn't supposed to. And Bisaccia goes, I don't want a fucking fair catch. And Bisaccia is just a different kind of guy. He is a guy that I don't think we have seen with the Packers and especially with their special teams. And that to me is really exciting. Um, that is something I think we all should be excited about. Um, and I think that Bisaccia is going to do a lot of things to help kind of bridge that gap. And to again, fill yet another hole for the Green Bay Packers. Will there be holes for this team? Absolutely, right? Like, it's football. You're not going to be a quote-unquote perfect team. Maybe, I mean, who knows? I think I said to somebody, Packers are going to win 15 games next year. I was joking, but I kind of also was like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you never know. But yeah, I think the special teams, man, that, that's that been a really good sign to start, start this training camp. Again, similar to Dobbs, like, I need to see it on the field. And I know that special teams can look a lot better or a lot, well, yeah, maybe worse in preseason because you have a lot of guys that are vying for roster spots who aren't actual NFL players playing in these positions. So, yeah, again, grain of salt, but still, I think that you should start seeing them come together, you know, week three of of training, uh, you know, three preseason games. That's right. So probably preseason game number two, you want to sort of see what that special teams unit looks like. Football, man, it's getting closer and closer. We are like a literal month away from college football starting. Um, well, week zero technically starts college football, but we will we will definitely have the first round of Badger games starting on 9-3. And then also we will have, you know, we'll have just overall sports and, and goodness. And it'll feel, feel great, man. Excited for it. Can't wait for it. All right. Finish out the show today with our Boston recap. So I was in Boston for a bachelor party. Um, if you can tell with my voice, it's not well. Um, things are not not great right now. Um, you know, I think when you're a mid thirties dude and you just abuse your body for three days, um, your body's gonna tell you, "Hey, fuck off." And that's exactly what happened. I was listening to the end of the part of my take on Thursday, and Big Cat was saying how he has to go to bachelor party. And he was saying how he's like, I wish that after a bachelor party, you could just go to a hotel, put your, put blackout shades, put the, you know, temperature to like 60 degrees and just completely sleep everything off. And I'm like, wow, that sounds amazing. Um, honestly, it does. Honestly, I was going to take Monday. I was going to take today off, but then we were doing Thursday, Friday instead of Friday, Saturday. So I was like, all right, well, I have to, I have to get going. And I'm glad I did because I... Had flight issues for the first time since, you know, all the craziness. Um, but it was, wasn't was too bad. Um, you know, I freaked out at JFK. I had no idea where I was going in JFK. Um, it's a huge airport. I was like, yeah, just it was a bad. I think I just didn't plan that out as well as I could have. 
and I didn't think through it a little bit more and be like, all right, here's where the maps are. And I had to ask a guy, and then he's like, oh, that's Boston. I felt like a complete fucking idiot. Um, so that was a hot start. Um, you know, me traveling by myself is something I haven't done a lot of. Um, I, I wish I did more of it just because I think I would get better at everything. Like, I think I'd understand how much time I need. I think I'd understand, you know, what I bring, what I don't bring. But I don't travel enough by myself. So I sometimes I get flustered. My wife does a hell of a job with travel. So it's like... I don't necessarily need to be the lead dog with that. Uh, she has she has a lock on it. But yes, her presence was missed when I was just freaking out about where to go. But got on the plane. I uh, got to Boston. It was it was a great weekend, man. Uh, celebrating Murph and his bachelor party. A uh, lot, a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of great guys. I think it was super cool that there were so many people from different walks of life, from different areas of the state of Wisconsin, not only, but also different states. You know, we had representatives of Michigan, Florida, like it was cool. And I think to me, I've, I'm always kind of anti trips for bachelor parties because I think it's, you're putting a lot on your friends. But when you have friends in all these different locations, it makes it worth it. And it makes it, you know, a little more special. And it it's something that I think you, you have to do. Um, and the fact that we could do it around the Brewers and Fenway, so many of the guys had not been to Fenway. I'd been there, you know, 12, 11 years ago, with my dad, um, and I had more fun with this one. Now, well, he probably wouldn't want to hear that. But seriously, I, I, mean, I had a great time. And, you know, the bar scene around Fenway was so fun. You know, going to the bullpen bar, which I didn't know existed, where it's right right in the stadium. Um, and that was super cool. Um, the There was a basement bar right by, uh, well, it used to be Yawkey Way. I think it's Jersey Way now. Uh, Yawkey Way is problematic. And it was a great basement bar. And it, again, enforces what I've always said about basement bars. Like, you will never find a bad basement bar it, it, for me. Like, I, I just just don't think you will. Um, and, yeah, it was it, – oh, they, we had a DJ cruise. Like, I, I, I don't have a ton of, like, great stories that I, I want to share because, you know, it's like, oh, we just got wasted. And, and there's that. But – I would love to bring in a full DJ cruise to Milwaukee. Like, I think that could be done. Um, and I think you could do it the right way. I don't think right now we have a boat for it. Like, the boat we were on for the DJ cruise was three levels. Um, I didn't like the fact that, well, we paid for it. And then we had to pay for drinks. I was like, oh, man. Like, it is what it is. It's a big city. I think that's that's part of it. I think the in Milwaukee, I think you would do, it would be like 50 or 60 bucks and it'll be all you can drink, right? Or it would be, you know, you'd have like maybe a wristband for your first three or four beers. And then after that, then you'd have to pay or something along those lines. Cause yeah, you probably can't do all you, all you can drink cause everybody would be wasted. But like they had like a table. So like if you were like, they had one table like dedica- dedicated to a group, we didn't get that, which is fine. They had like a dance floor on the third level. Um, and then they had, you know, basically bars on every level. So it was three levels. And yeah, the DJ was, you know, she was playing the hits. Like definitely a lot of good stuff. And like just was an awesome environment. Um, had a lot of fun with that. Um, and I think you we need we need more of those DJ cruises. Uh, this is all over the place. I apologize. Um, I'm trying to think what else. But yeah, I would love to bring a DJ cruise back to Milwaukee. Uh, Fenway, very disorganized when it comes to getting your food. Like I, I, had, I had a hot dog and a sausage, but each time I couldn't buy a beer with it. Um, I also wanted to buy a soda uh, because I was a little bit 
was I was to say I wanted a little bit of a pick me up, and I didn't even have they didn't have Diet Coke, they didn't have Coke Zero, and I'm not getting like a souvenir cup of of Coke of of like regular Coke like that. That my body's already being punished. I don't need to throw a bunch of sugar and in, into my system like that. So that sucked, but you know what? We're strong. We're built different. We can make make that happen. So that that was good. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, Fenway seats. I mean, I think I talked about that before we left. Like, it's they're not great, and they weren't. But we were able to space out enough, which was cool. A lot of Brewer fans. Um, Friday night, man, it was a loud crowd. Some Red Sox fans are like, I've never heard it be like that for like a Yankees game. And it, and you know what? Like, I think what probably happened was a the Brewers were playing well, so maybe some people decided last minute who live in the area or live close, like, hey, let's go, let's go to Fenway this weekend. There's also that the Red Sox confidence for their fans is not great, um, and they think that they're going to be sellers. It sounds like they are going to be. So I think there that's also another part of it. And number three is I think that there are there's a lot of like it's a good time to be traveling, right? It's the end of July, you know, fall sports for if you have a high school kid haven't really started yet here in Milwaukee or Wisconsin. Um, you have that school again hasn't started a ton for again if you just have kids, right? You want to take them to that. Um, it's also just a good time to get away. It's like middle middle of July. So yeah, all in all, man, it was a really good time. Only regret we didn't get to the North End, eat some nice Italian, have some cannolis. Uh, but that that was probably my only thing where I was like, oh, I wish we would have done that. But other than that, it's a lot of fun. Um, also not an Airbnb city. Um, Airbnb was pretty tight in Dorchester. Uh, let me tell you, was it great? But that's okay. Um, that. That happens, and it, we, it had enough outside space where it could be congregated. It was pretty cheap too, uh, so yeah, it's hard, right? And I think I was told hotels were pretty expensive, but so sometimes you just gotta make do with that and and figure it out. So all in all, man, good trip. Hopefully, I will be back to 100% tomorrow. Um, I think Mitch and I are gonna do a deadline pod after uh, after the deadline on Tuesday night. Um, I gotta check in with that him. And see if that's something he's interested in. If he's like, I need to see how I feel. <laughs> I get it. Uh, but if not, we'll, Mitch and I will connect uh, later this week as well. So, all right, guys. Take care of yourself. Have a great week. And we will talk tomorrow. All right. See you later. Have a good one. Bye.